Hi, Journey. Welcome to winter. Are you ready? Here it is. Pull out the sweaters. Sweater season. I apologize for the bad road conditions this morning. Uh, Nine o'clock folks were uh, crashing into each other down at Durston and Love. Like It was just like kind of a rodeo down there. And they sent the county road department to get all that fixed. Was it better? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Just in time for you guys. So much for the nine o'clock folks, though, right? You know how all throughout the years there, there's all these days that various organizations have that are designated to bring attention to their cause or their work or some celebration, right? Well, there's so many of these days, it's nearly impossible to keep track of all of them, right? I looked the other day just at the month of November to see all the various commemorations in November, and I found a list of 75, 75 different commemorations just for the month of November. Days like International Day for Tolerance. Did you know that there was such a thing? How about the International Stand-Up to Bullying Day? World Diabetes Day. Now, we have a type 1 diabetic in our own house, and I had no idea that there was such a thing as World Diabetes Day. Check this one out. November 21st is called World Hello Day. World Hello Day. It was started in the 70s by these two guys, and here's what you're supposed to do. On November 21st, every person on the planet is supposed to say hello to 10 different people on that day. And the idea behind the whole World Hello Day thing is that if we say hello to 10 different people on that day, that the message will get sent to world leaders to use communication instead of force to settle their conflicts. November 21st, World Hello Day. Let's see if it works. There's World Pneumonia Day, which is not a grand glorious day. Is it? Uh, We had World Pertussis Day this past week at the Bozeman High School, right? Students getting sent home in mass. I'll take a pass. Another day that I will take a pass on is World Vegan Day. I'm going to skip out on World Vegan Day, if that's all right with you. I think it's Thanksgiving, actually, that's World Vegan Day. And that's just a really small sampling of more than 75 different commemorations all throughout the month of November. Now you're like, why in the world are you telling us all of that? Well, I tell you that because the entire month of November is National Adoption Month. Did you know that? National Adoption Month, the whole month of November. See, adoption is such a cool, God-ordained deal, they decided to celebrate it over the course of a whole month. It deserves a whole month, they said. We're not just going to give it a single day, and so November is National Adoption Month. Now, I tell you that because today, for all four weekends in November, as a matter of fact, we're going to be in this brand new message series that we call Kingdom Come. And we're absolutely, throughout these weeks, going to be lifting up the value of adoption and We're going to look beyond adoption, and we're going to create some on-ramps for every single one of us to consider steering our lives onto for the purpose of providing care for orphans, the oppressed, the downtrodden, and those who have been left in the dust. The series is called Kingdom Come. Obviously, it's taken from Jesus' prayer when he actually taught us how to pray, where Jesus said, may your kingdom come. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. And around Journey Church, I want you to know that we believe to our core that as part of God's kingdom coming to earth, part of us bringing God's kingdom to earth, remember every one of us who follows Jesus, we are kingdom of God bringers. That's what we're supposed to be about. We believe that the church of Jesus Christ, by way of bringing the kingdom, that we're supposed to provide tangible care. Tangible, tangible care for orphans, the oppressed, 
the downtrodden, and those who have been left in the dust across the street and around the globe. That's part of what it is to bring the kingdom of God. We think that the church of Jesus Christ is very, very, very much on the hook to care for orphans, the oppressed, the downtrodden, and those who have been left in the dust. We're on the hook, church. Which is why today I want to show you exactly how it is that God thinks about foreign and domestic policy. I actually want to show you from the scriptures where this ethic of caring for the orphans, the oppressed, the downtrodden, those who have been left in the dust, where that ethic comes from, and it will sort of build the foundation of this whole series, Kingdom Come, and this message is entitled God's Foreign and Domestic Policy. Now, if you are paying even moderate attention to today's cultural landscape, you will know that we are fully in the throes of football season, aren't we? Like, we are fully in the throes of football season. Astoundingly, my Niners are still winning. Yes. Our Bobcats, I don't know what else to say other than they're just killing it. Way to go, guys. They're killing it. Absolutely. Now, my friend John Oakland's Vikings, not so much. They're struggling, and that causes John to struggle, and that makes the workplace uh, awfully dark and gloomy some days. So I encourage him with a little news about the Niners, but that never seems to prop him up very much. We're, the f- we're a football-crazed society, aren't we? I ran across some stats recently just about the NFL, the National Football League. Did you know that this year, 2011, the NFL will take in $11 billion, billion of revenue this season? $11 billion. Peyton Manning... He's the league's highest paid player. He's going to make $23 million this season. He's going to get endorsement deals worth about another 15 or so million dollars. He's going to earn a grand total of $38 million compensation this year. And he's not playing. And his team is 0-8. I dare you to try that level of underperformance or non-performance in your job. And see how that goes for you. Try it. The minimum salary, did you know this? The minimum salary for an NFL player is 320000 The median salary for an NFL player is 770000 The average NFL player earns $1.9 million per year. $1.9 million. That all, you add all that up, that equates to total player costs for the NFL of $4.5 billion this year. $4.5 billion. A 30-second ad during Super Bowl 2011 cost $2.8 million. And the public spent $10.1 billion, with a B, on Super Bowl 2011. $10.1 billion. Now, those are astounding, almost unreachable figures for our minds, right? They're almost too big for us to get our heads around, so let's make NFL dollar costs a little more personal for us. Let's just say, for example, that you attended a Dallas Cowboy football game, which, by the way, the most valuable franchise in the NFL, valued at somewhere around $1.8 billion or so, So let's say you go to one of their games. I don't know why in the world you would go to a Dallas Cowboy game. Honestly, let's say, ah, sorry. Yeah, save the emails. Just save them. You'd go to a Dallas Cowboy game because you want to see that fantastic screen in their stadium, right? That's the only reason you'd go. Who cares about the game? You want to see that monstrous screen. If you went to a game, you know how much you're going to spend? Average ticket price for a Dallas Cowboy game? 160 bucks. $160 per seat. After you buy your ticket, you're going to spend $75 to park your car at Dallas. $75 to park your car, Dallas Cowboy Stadium. 
So you're never going to go to a Dallas Cowboy game all by yourself because, well, then you'd be kind of a loser, right? So just kidding. So you're going to take someone with you. So you buy two tickets. That's 320 bucks. You're going to park your car, 75 bucks. You're going to eat a few hot dogs, probably some nachos. You're going to have a couple of beers because I know you all. And you add all that up. I got an amen for the beer comment. <laughs> we, we never get amens and I say beer. Amen. <laughs> we'll talk later. And so you add all that up and you would have spent, you and your friend, upwards of $500 to watch one football game one afternoon, one evening. Upwards of $500 to watch a game. It is a game. Remember, $4.5 billion in player costs, the 2011 season. $2.8 million for a 30-second TV spot during the Super Bowl. Expected revenue, $11 billion for the NFL this season. Now think about all those numbers. And then contrast those numbers with this video filmed a few years ago of a little girl trying to make her bed for the night. We'll spend pretty easily upwards of $500 to watch a game for an afternoon. The NFL will expend $4.5 billion on player costs alone this season. Companies, corporations, advertisers will spend $2.8 million for a 30-second ad during this year's Super Bowl. Expected revenue for the NFL is $11 billion this season and that girl little girl in the yellow dress and so many millions just like her made their beds if you can even call them that on streets and in alleys and in garbage dumps all over the world last night and they'll do it again tonight and they'll do it again tomorrow night and on and on and on it goes and there's this question that swirls around inside of and all throughout the plight of the little girl in the yellow dress, all the world's orphans for that matter, the oppressed, the downtrodden, those who've been left in the dust. And the question is this, when, church, are we going to say enough is enough? When, church, are we going to say enough is enough? We're not going to have that anymore. When? When are we going to get there? But see, that isn't personal enough, is it? Because you see, most of the little girls in yellow dresses making their, quote, beds on streets and in alleys and in garbage dumps, they're elsewhere, aren't they? They're on another continent. They don't look like us. Some of us think, and we even say this, they over there, they just need to work harder. If they just work harder, then they'd be fine. They're, most of the time, out of sight and out of mind. And when that's the case, it becomes real easy to spend $500 to watch a game for a few hours, right? We don't see them. They're somewhere else. They're someone else's problem. Me, I'm going to the game. 
And a few years ago, I sat in a big auditorium surrounded by hundreds of people, most of them Christians, and I saw that film clip of the little girl in the yellow dress making her bed on the street for the very first time, and it absolutely wrecked me to the core of my being. And that evening, after I had watched that film clip, I had a party to go to with a whole bunch of other people, lots of whom had been at that same gathering, had seen that, seen that same film clip. But for some reason, I didn't want to go to that party that night. I just didn't feel like it. Now, I love parties, I love people, especially the people who are going to be at that evening's gathering. They're some of the people who are absolutely closest to me in this world, but I still didn't want to go. Because all I felt like doing was curling up in a ball and weeping. I was that piled up by that clip. But I managed to, you know, like we all do, we drag ourselves to those things and I pasted a smile on my face. You know what that's all about, right? And I made small talk. And the whole time I felt like I was dying inside because here I am, I'm at this party. Everyone's having a fantastic time. There's all this elaborate food, elaborate drink, and we're literally, we're feasting. We're laughing, we're enjoying this amazing overly abundant provision, and somewhere in the world, all over the world for that matter, little girls in yellow dresses and so many millions more just like her, kids who are the same age as the kids I have at home, were trying to just find a safe, warm, dry place to sleep for the night. And there I was. And over the course of the evening, the party was still going strong all over the house. I found myself literally sitting on the kitchen floor of my friend's house in a little circle with some very dear friends. This little huddle of us on the kitchen floor. It's kind of a weird place to gather, but there we were. One of them sitting in that circle, I don't even remember which one, said, so, what are we going to do about the little girl in the yellow dress? And I sort of came unglued. I jumped at the chance to give voice to the pain that was wrenching my heart about everything I had seen on that screen that day. And I said, I sort of pounded my fist on the kitchen floor. You know, I have no idea what I'm going to do, what we're going to do, but we're gonna do something, I promise you. We're doing something. You can count me in, you can count my family in, because doing nothing is not an option. Sort of declared. Doing nothing is not an option. And folks, that's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. It is not an option for us to do nothing about orphans, the oppressed, the downtrodden, those who have been left in the dust. Passivity is not an option for us. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, if you've got a Bible and you want to turn there, you sure can. It'll be on the screen as well. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 is just one of the so many scriptures from God's word where God very clearly casts vision for what we, the people of God, are to be doing about orphans, the oppressed, the downtrodden, and those who've been left in the dust. Let me read these verses to you. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. See that they get justice. That's God telling us, the church of Jesus Christ, that speaking up for orphans, the oppressed, the downtrodden, those who have been left in the dust, is part of the call of every single Christian, not just a few of those people over there. Yeah, that's their job, all of us. 
ensuring justice for those being crushed is just one facet of what it is to live on the global mission of Jesus Christ here and now. Speaking up for the poor and the helpless, seeing that they get justice is not optional for we who follow Jesus. As a matter of fact, it is incredibly central to what it is to be a Christ follower. Now, I fully understand how incredibly complex the issues are related to United States foreign policy as well as domestic policy when it comes to orphans, the oppressed, the downtrodden, and those who have been left in the dust. Literally, some of the very smartest people in the entire world struggle for years, even decades, seeking to plot our national and international way forward in creating, funding, and administrating compassionate programs that meet tangible needs across the street and around the entire globe. And I also want to say that God has a very strong opinion about how those programs go. God absolutely has a view about how compassion gets meted out nationally and internationally. As a matter of fact, if God were actually sitting in the highest offices in this land, as well as the highest offices around the country, and if he were advising presidents, and if he were advising world leaders on matters related to how orphans, the oppressed, the downtrodden, and those who have been left in the dust are cared for, he would not have to say anything that he hadn't already said since the beginning of time about how he sees compassion going. The scriptures are full of his directives in that regard. But I also know that if God were crafting domestic and foreign policy for how orphans, the oppressed, the downtrodden, and those who have been left in the dust are cared for, get this, he would not be talking to presidents and foreign leaders about it because his intention is, was, and always will be that you and I, the church of Jesus Christ, are responsible for implementing the stuff of Proverbs 31, 8, and 9. We are responsible. We're on the hook. It's us, part of our job. But we've left off that part of the mission, haven't we? For an awfully long time. And it's my contention that government and governmental agencies are heavily involved in spending your and my tax dollars for compassionate programs in this country and around the world only because the church of Jesus Christ forgot or ignored or left out or whatever you want to call it, most of what God has said since the beginning of time about how orphans, the oppressed, the downtrodden, and those who have been left in the dust are to be cared for. They're doing the job because we weren't. So we can get as upset as we want to about how our tax dollars are going all over the place to fund all of these compassionate aid programs for people in need, But church, that's only happening because we blew it. We blew right by most everything God said on the subject. God's people, us, we were not doing what God told us to do, to give care to people in need. And what do you know? The needs were skyrocketing. And so governments all around the world stepped in and stepped up and appropriated tax dollars. Because even governments saw that doing nothing wasn't an option. We missed the bus. And so government... They took care of it. It's not supposed to be that way. That's not God's plan. That's not God's design. That is not God's intention. Oh, in Matthew chapter 5 in your Bible, you might know this text, Jesus talks about how we, his followers, are, he gives us this incredible title. It, it, it's really remarkable 
what Jesus calls us. He says, you, church, my church, Jesus says, are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. At least we're supposed to be the light of the world. And he goes on, he says, you're supposed to be like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, letting your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. We're supposed to be about caring for orphans, the oppressed, the downtrodden, those who have been left in the dust, so much so that we're like a city on a hill. The light of the world. And then the rest of the world who doesn't know God, they see what we're about in that regard, and they say, whoa, praise be to God for everything that God is doing in and through them to care for orphans, the oppressed, the downtrodden, those who've been left in the dust. And that Matthew chapter five passage, those words of Jesus Christ, you've probably heard them invoked all over the place, all the time about nations and governments, right? Have you ever heard that? But I want you to hear me very clearly. Those words of Jesus were never intended to be applied to a nation, a government, or any kind of political leaning whatsoever. Those words of Christ are to be descriptive of us, the church of Jesus Christ, who is living out his vision for the world in such a way that people see God in us. They see God in every single thing we're doing. And what do you know? They praise God for what he's doing. Thanks be to God. Governments cannot ever be the light of the world. They will not ever be the light of the world. Economic systems cannot be the city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Political parties or political movements cannot change hearts, transform lives, nor can they ever affect eternal destinies. Can't do it. Now think back with me for a moment to the little girl in the yellow dress, millions just like her all over the world who are living life today. There's a lot of questions that come to mind, aren't there? For example, where in the world are her parents? Has that little girl ever been to school? Will she ever go to school? Does that little girl in the millions just like her, do they even have one single person in their lives who are offering them love and guidance and hope? Just one person. What does that little girl's future hold? Where's that little girl going to end up? Is she going to end up in a nice house, honorable husband, with meaningful work? Or will she and so many more just like her end up in an altogether too early grave? And none of the answers to any of those questions are very reassuring to our hearts, are they, as we formulate them? And please get this, government officials, even at their very best, cannot legislate better answers to those questions. They cannot do it. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to disparage government in any way. Attempting to legislate a better future is a noble, worthy task. Public service is absolutely honorable. But government and politicians, no matter how noble their intents, can only do so much. It feels very often like they're just rearranging the yard markers on the field of life, doesn't it? Business? Business doesn't hold the answer for the little girl in the yellow dress and so many more just like her. Business can't answer all the questions that we have about her. Industry does not have the solution. 
But church, get this. The power to change the life of the little girl in the yellow dress, the power to actually change the world, the power to be the light of the world, the city on the hill that cannot ever be hidden, the power to bring about God's foreign and domestic policy, bringing real, tangible hope to orphans, the oppressed, the downtrodden, those who have been left in the dust, that power has been entrusted to us and only us. The church of Jesus Christ. It's us. Which means that in a very real sense, you and me, the church, we're the hope of the world. We're the hope of the world. Which means that we'd better get about it, hadn't we? We'd better get about it. We'd better get about spilling out God's goodness and peace and love and joy into the world in such a way that the forces of darkness and depravity and evil are pushed back in the name of Jesus Christ push back so much and so far that the life of the little girl in the yellow dress so that it can be transformed changed altered forever and so you see if the church of Jesus Christ if we are God's vessel for invoking his domestic and foreign policy watch this buckle in that means that the tithe is his method for financing his foreign and domestic policy. True story. You and I, tithing to our local church, is intended to be the funding stream for helping the little girl in the yellow dress and the millions and millions just like her around the globe as well as across the street. Which means that if you and I want to actually be a part of Proverbs 31, 8, and 9 coming to pass if you want to be a tangible part of God's kingdom coming to earth just as it is in heaven, if you actually want to invoke and bring about God's foreign and domestic policy, if you and I want to be the light of the world, the city on the hill that cannot be hidden, that means that one of the very most significant things we could ever do is tithe to our church off of every single dollar God directs your way. Give at least, at least 10% of every dollar that passes through your economic engine, to God via your church. It's actually another one of the reasons that the government has picked up the church's ball and been forced to start attending to the care of orphans, the oppressed, the downtrodden, those who have been left in the dust. We weren't doing the job on one hand, and the job was not being paid for on the other because we weren't obeying God when it comes to our giving and our generosity on neither front. We're not tithing to the church that God calls us, invites us, challenges us to tithe to his church. There's a few verifiable facts about the giving of Christ followers in the United States. They're true of the capital C, Worldwide Church of Jesus Christ, and they're true of this church as well. Five facts. Number one, they're a little stark. At least one in five American Christians, that's us, one in five of us give literally nothing to their church. 20% give literally nothing to their church. Number two, the vast majority of American Christians give very little to their church. Number three, American Christians do not give evenly. What that means is that a very small minority of very generous givers contribute most Christian giving dollars. 
Number four, higher income earning American Christians give little to no more money as a percentage of household income than lower income earning followers of Jesus. And number five, despite very real and massive growth of per capita income all throughout the 20th century, the average percentage of income given by American Christians not only did not grow in proportion to income growth, it actually declined, it decreased, it went down. So per capita incomes are chugging up and to the right all through the 20th century. Christian giving didn't even come close to growing along with incomes. It declined. And so is it any wonder that the government's left caring for orphans, the oppressed, the downtrodden, and those who have been left in the dust? That means that our disobedience to God's call for us to tithe to his church, it's leaving the funding stream for God's domestic and foreign policy dramatically short. We're not getting it done like we're supposed to be getting it done. But all is not lost. All is not lost. There is hope. And here's how that can go. I'm going to sketch this out for you. Here's how that can go if we choose it. And it's going to take us choosing it. This won't just happen by accident. We'll have to be very intentional about this. Watch this. If every single family in America who says that they're a strong to very strong Christian, if every family in America, just America, began to give the full tithe, families who call themselves strong to very strong Christians, they begin to tithe 10% of their after-tax income to their church, you know what that adds to American Christendom? It adds 46 billion dollars per year to current kingdom ministry funding 46 billion new kingdom come dollars 46 billion and so you think about that number and it's a little bit out there you're like oh my gosh how much money is that well it's a lot but I want to spend a few minutes and I actually want to sketch out for you some ways, tangible ways God's kingdom could come if we, the church of Jesus Christ, had 46 billion more dollars at our disposal every year. Here's just a sampling. $2.2 billion. $2.2 billion a year triples the resources being spent on Bible translation into the native languages of the 2,700 unreached people groups left on planet Earth. There's 2,700 people groups on the planet right now who do not have a translation of the word of God into their language. That makes it very difficult for the gospel to come to those people, doesn't it? How do you explain Jesus to people whose language isn't recorded? It's impossible. And so there's groups that are about that. That's what they do. It's all they do. $2.2 billion a year triples the resources being spent on that front. The gospel going further, wider, deeper reaching people. $330 million a year sponsors, watch this, 150,000 new indigenous missionaries. That means missionaries who are from their native country. 150,000 new indigenous missionaries and pastors in the most spiritually closed and dark nations on the planet. The gospel going further, wider, deeper. $2 billion a year. This one's awesome. They're all awesome, but this one in particular $2 billion a year finances 5 million brand new grassroots micro-enterprise economic development loans in poor countries. That means under-resourced entrepreneurs are able to purchase tools, materials, and equipment to start or expand their enterprises. 
The best part about that one is that that money gets paid back to the loan fund as those entrepreneurs' business grow. $500 million closes once and for all the funding gap and eradicates polio. It doesn't exist on planet Earth anymore. $500 million. $2 billion funds 1 million new clean water projects per year in the world's poorest countries. Clean drinking water for everybody on planet Earth. That shouldn't be a luxury. $1 billion funds 10,000 comprehensive Christ-centered HIV, AIDS, prevention, education, and medication programs in sub-Sahara Africa. $3.9 billion funds the resources needed to prevent and treat malaria worldwide. $2 billion supplies, this one's awesome, $2 billion supplies one heifer or four hogs to 4 million families per year. $4.5 billion provides food, clothing, and shelter to all 6.5 million refugees in Africa, Asia, and the Middle East. $810 million quadruples all resources currently being spent on medical mission work around the globe. And that's just a sampling. That barely, those totals, if you were to total up everything I just listed there, that barely even scratches the surface of what an additional $46 billion of tithe money could do to bring God's kingdom on earth just as it is in heaven. Just think about the good that God could accomplish through us, his church, in the world every year if we just simply obeyed God and tithed our after-tax income. I'm not even talking about the gross. I'm talking about the net. Just tithe off the net to the church of Jesus Christ. All that good is staggering. Staggering. Picture in your mind's eye a world where no more little girls in yellow dresses are trying to find places to sleep on streets and in alleys and in garbage dumps anymore because they're being cared for. Imagine a world in which the church is actually intangibly, we're not just talking about it, we're not just praying for it, we're actually engaged in bringing the kingdom of God to earth just as it is in heaven. Imagine a world where the church is bringing to bear God's foreign and domestic policy. Tangibly caring for orphans, the oppressed, the downtrodden, those who have been left in the dust, those on the margins who we don't see and don't think about because, well, we're just going to the game. Folks, that mission, that call, that invitation is absolutely worth investing your life the money that God has entrusted to your care, and your very best energies, isn't it? Nothing, frankly, nothing even comes close to investing in kingdom come. Take your stuff and set it aside if you would, and I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads and go to prayer, please. And I just invite you in this time to engage with God. Engage with him about the stuff that's going on in your head and in your heart.
God, I pray now on behalf of the capital C Worldwide Church of Jesus Christ, I ask that you would forgive us. That you would forgive us of our neglect for forgetting, for ignoring your words to us about the orphans, the oppressed, the downtrodden, and those who have been left in the dust. Forgive us, please, God, for being so occupied in our own pursuits that we just didn't do it. Forgive us, please, God. And would you please, by the power of the Holy Spirit, call us back to what we're supposed to be about. Make us, please, God, the church that you envision and intend for us to be, the one you have in your heart and in your mind, so that your plan for your kingdom coming might actually come through us, that we would actually be your tangible, physical agents of your foreign and domestic policy in our own town as well as around the world, God. And God, would you make us generous, please? Make us ever so generous so that we might actually become the light of the world that you call us to be. That we might actually be the city on the hill that the rest of the world looks on at and sees our good deeds and praises you because it is all about you. It's all about your heart for the orphan and the oppressed and the downtrodden, those who have been left in the dust. Your heart, God, is immense for people, every single person. And we want to be about reaching them. With your love, with your life, with your tangible care, please, God, send us. Send us so that your kingdom might 